You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is every single week is, wait, did you mess up your your lipstick there, or is that blood on your chin? I don't know. Oh, what's going on? Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, no, I just went out to eat. Um, it's ketchup. Oh, okay. I I wasn't, you know, maybe sure if it was like a, uh, you know, extra rare steak or something going on or. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's uncomfortable. No need to ask any um, questions. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to be talking about Morbius this week. And before we dive into the latest film by Marvel, but not that Marvel, the other Marvel. Uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, uh, if you are listening to this, please subscribe wherever you are, and that way you'll get the show as soon as it drops. Uh, of course, you can also um, leave us like a star rating or a review on places like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'd really appreciate that. It definitely helps people find the show. So if you're listening on the Spotify app, you can just you give us a star rating there. And of course, you know, written reviews and star ratings are a big plus as well on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find us uh, also on Twitter at the 602 Club. And then we're also on Instagram uh, at the 602 Club TFM. We'd love for you to follow us there. We love interacting with people about the show. We've got, of course, nerd news that we, you know, uh, talk about and, and tweet there as well, too. So that's really fun. You can find the entire network on Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm. And then we've got the entire network over at trek.fm. And, uh, if, of course, if you want to help the network uh, keep coming to you each and every week, you need to go to patreon.com slash trek fm and see how you can become part of the team uh you'll notice we don't have any ads here on any of our shows on the network and the only way that we can keep doing that is with listeners just like you so we encourage you to go to patreon.com slash trek fm and see how you can become part of the team so christy as we mentioned, we're going to be talking about Morbius, uh, the brand new Marvel movie here. And I was really interested just looking at the development of this and that this is something all the way back when they had Blade first coming out and even Blade 2. They were thinking about introducing this character Morbius, which as a living vampire, of course, makes a lot of sense when you have a vampire hunter in Blade. And so I was really surprised that this never came to anything. No fruition here. No follow-through in the end. It it never happens. But I'm just thinking to myself, if you were trying to create basically like a comic vampire franchise, having those two characters would have been something really interesting. Yeah, I mean, you definitely hit the nail on the head. I think that it's a huge missed opportunity there. I guess it was due to the focus wanting to be mostly on the main character of Blade. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that it would have been a really great opportunity to have the two of them be um, constantly at war with each other. You know, either outsmarting each other mm-hmm. or having to do a reluctant team up situation or something. Yeah, ah, I would. No, I was actually thinking the exact same thing. You know, and it, again, it seems like a very um, organic way uh, to be able to have uh, a a small, you know, shared universe because these characters have, you know, a very common denominator which is the idea of vampirism so mm-hmm. but with that never came to anything and um in may 2017 you know sony announced that they were going to have a new shared universe featuring spider-man and re- 
related properties. And of course, they kick that off with Venom in 2018. And so this is not to be confused with the MCU. This is Sony's Spider-Man universe. It just involves the the Spider-Man characters that Sony owns, which is all of them. And so um, how... How did you feel about this idea of them not only allowing Spider-Man to be used in the MCU, but he was also going to be a part of this other universe that was existing in a whole other company with a whole other different mandate about what they're trying to do with these characters? It's not a great way to bring him in because I think for the majority of... MCU fans, Venom was not an exciting contribution to all of the MCU, um, especially when most of it had been primarily seen as the more heroic characters. And then you bring in something so dark, you know, it's kind of like that Deadpool joke. Ooh, so dark. What are you, a DC character? <laughs> um, it just, it, it did seem kind of... Um, not a, a hugely positive way to then try and follow up and bring in more characters. And they're following in the footsteps of Venom now with mm-hmm. another dark character and dark movie. Um, but there is an audience for dark stuff like this. Sure. It just kind of depends on the storytelling and the um, effects to see how it's going to pan out. But I would say for me, it, Initially seeing the previews and things like that, I wasn't so sure about it. Yeah, you know, it is. It's just a strange thing to you know you're you're allowing the MCU to use Spider Man, um, but then you're kind of creating your own little universe for him and his characters to be a part of in some way, and the the track that they take with especially starting with Venom is completely different, obviously, than anything that's in the MCU. And it it's supposed to be. It, they're not connected at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're only vaguely connected by the fact that Sony and the MCU have a deal that they can use these characters. And so, and of course, I guess in some ways they must vaguely be connected by the idea that there's the multiverse, right? Right. Otherwise... There's no real connection. And, you know, I, I'm with you, um, and I obviously have no problems with dark storytelling um, or, or uh, things, I would, I would say, more serious takes, you know, mm-hmm. on on characters and whatnot. Um, I don't really think of Venom as necessarily being like, I think of it being more like a dark comedy then I do like a serious take on a character. Um, and I never even saw the second one. I was not interested uh, because I didn't like the first one. Mm-hmm. And so it was really interesting then to kind of come into Morbius. And I don't really know much about the character, um, you know, but uh, it seemed like it could be interesting. And, you know, cast wise, um, I'm not somebody who dislikes Jared Leto. You know, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, in, say, Blade Runner 2049. Um, I actually liked his Joker, so really interested in that, knowing that, you know, somebody like Matt Smith was going to be in this. So kind of coming into this, I was definitely intrigued, let's say, in a way Mm -hmm. that, you know, the second Venom movie that I had no interest in. And I will preface it with saying I also am no stranger to liking... um, dark storytelling or dark comedies i think that things like that can be interesting and there's a lot of things like that that i like i'm just saying more that it's um a jolt for a lot of mcu fans sure sure to have such a a different type of movie Mm -hmm. yeah i know i i think you're absolutely right and so well i did want to to get your thoughts on this because you know the story is interesting in the sense that we start off with the scene that everybody's seen in the trailer which is him at the cave mm-hmm. and then we kind of go back in time to tell the story of you know 
and set the characters up, and then we kind of switch time again. So there's some time jumping and everything that happens. So I just wanted to ask you with the storytelling here and, and the structure that they use, how all that worked for you, and then you know just what you ended up thinking of the story overall. Sure. So I, I will say I think that the nonlinear format is something that I usually like, actually. I mean, we've talked about it with, for example, Witcher doing it masterfully um weaving stories storylines together and starting and stopping mm-hmm. all over the board um so that was fine i think that the thing that kind of hurts this story for me um is that it's feels so derivative of another spider-man villain if you remember um the doctor that tried injecting himself with reptile dna <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Turns himself into lizard. Absolutely. Yeah. Did we not learn anything from that? (laughs) So that part was a little lackluster for me. But I think in general, the premise is really interesting. Um, And so but I think that the, the structure is good and the premise is an interesting idea. And they kind of take the idea of vampire bats and run with it to their advantage, which is fine. I mean, if you look it up, the actual vampire bat only eats things as big as like a bird. And then sometimes apparently another bat, not like cows and people. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, That was a little too much, but it works for what they're trying to do. Sure. I mean, it's definitely a comic book movie at that point. And those kind of things, I think, you know, just makes sense um, as to why you kind of amp that up, which, uh, yeah, like you, I don't really have any problems with that, but you know, I don't think that the structure of this was as successful as they want it to be. I thought it was a mistake to start, you know, at the cave. Um, I, For it this just particular very, movie. Yeah. Um, it feels very abrupt. And then to, like, go back in time and, 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 and you know, meet him... Uh, as a kid and Milo and the doctor, you know, uh, all of that's okay. Um, but I, I, and I don't necessarily have a a great answer for this or or how it would like fix it. Um, but I just, it didn't feel like it, it really worked for me. It's like they wanted that, that moment right up front, but like, I don't, I don't know the character. I don't know anything about him or anything. So having this kind of like pivotal moment and then finding a way back to the aftermath of that moment is, yeah, it just felt like we're kind of jumping around narratively to try to make the movie more interesting or the story itself because it's a pretty straightforward story in all Mm -hmm. honesty. I mean, you know, he's, he's somebody who's looking for a cure and that that search leads him, you know, to terrible things um, mm-hmm. and terrible results, which is uh, super basic. So I felt like they were just trying to make it more interesting. And, and for me, I don't think it actually helps the story to make it more interesting um, in that. And I, it is it's. I th- I'm wondering if maybe a more linear version of the story might have actually helped you feel more for the character just because you've spent time with them with their struggles, you know, and their mm-hmm. um you've spent more time with the character so you kind of like really feel what this character's going through, how terrible his life is or anything because that's one thing that in the movie like we see obviously it's difficult for him to walk right and mm-hmm. but we don't really have i don't feel like it ever gives us a good understanding of just how difficult this is um right. and how terrible it is which is i think something you need to be on his side in this search yeah i think that that's a good point actually that maybe maybe putting the intro scene of him at the cave actually later as the climax of him getting his powers um, instead, and then starting with the kids growing up in the hospital 
um, may have helped more with the character development. Because I do agree that was the biggest thing that this movie could have used a lot more of to make you then more invested in future stories with them is that character development. You need an explanation of like, do they have hemophilia or like Mm -hmm. a blood cancer or some other, you know, like sickle cell disease or something so that it gives a a reason for all that they're going through and then explains some more of exactly what it does to the body. I think that Mm -hmm. would have really helped instead of just kind of feeling mean spirited. I felt with just saying they were crippled and got bullied because of it. Right. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. I, I think you're 100% right. And and I think, you know, that storytelling structure here in the movie, actually, it, there's a lot of shortcuts I feel like they're trying to take. And I think a lot of those shortcuts lead to questions like at the end of the movie. And, you know, obviously we're talking through this whole movie, so spoilers, folks. But like in the story... How is Martine still alive at the end of this? How is she turned into a vampire when we haven't seen any indication that that's a possibility when they're being bitten and drank the blood of of somebody? Right. So there's just things like that where it's, it's like they do, the story kind of does things without really legitimizing itself with anything. Other than, oh, well, yep, that happened. It's like, but that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like they had already debunked other common vampire tropes saying Mm -hmm. that he's not resistant or not um, susceptible to holy water and garlic and sunlight and stuff. And then they go with saying, oh, it's possible for someone to um, have their blood drained by another vampire and become a vampire all of a sudden. Or what I had assumed was maybe there was an extra dose of the serum that Milo injected her with. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I thought he had made two extras, but I don't don't know. Right. And I mean, you know, that's absolutely a possibility. And yet then at the same time, the frustrating thing is that there's no indication that that ever happened, you know? Right. And so either way, you don't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I do think that's one of the things that really, I think hurts the story as, as you're watching is there's just lots of, of shortcuts that get taken. And those shortcuts, I think kind of lead you to feeling, um, cheated, uh, and and frustrated as you're watching the film like why is this and and what you know so and and i think the other thing too is that one of the things that you would really want to do in the story it, it because it's such a pivotal part of the story itself is creating that real bond between michael and milo is is another place where the story I think kind of lets you down and doesn't really give you what you need to be truly invested in any way in their relationship other than the fact that yes they've been going through the same thing but like what is it about Milo that makes him so special to Dr. Emil Nichols mhm you know I like I just it's very there's just a lot here that that never gets touched on in any way, shape, or form. It's just like, oh, there's something that's happening. Just accept it. Right. Pay no no attention to what's behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, pretty much the case. So then you end up feeling like a, a lot of movies that fail um, do, which is where they give you surface level information, but you're left wanting for the substance underneath that. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. You know, um, it feels hollow inside, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and so absolutely. Much like a cave. Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. No, you're 100% right. Um, Well, uh, you know, a big part of this movie, obviously, is the cast and, you know, with Jared Leto playing our title character of uh, Dr. Michael Morbius. What did you think of his performance? So it was um, 
it was tough for me, honestly. I will say in general, he's not really my cup of tea. Um, I had seen him recently as one of the characters in House of Gucci and didn't love his portrayal of an Italian at all. <laughs> um, and so I was hesitant here. Um, I think that on the one hand, they did pick someone who has done and would do um, justice to something with a dark story um, that he just seems to gravitate as an actor to things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously with his portrayal of Joker um, and some of the other things he's done in the past. Um, But for me, he just ended up feeling lifeless a lot of times. I wanted more emotion in his face And it felt like in moments where he was supposed to be showing like shock or pain or even happiness sometimes that I just wanted more in his expressions. Um, And I think that he does a good job somewhat in showing the relationship between he and Martine. Um, But I think that what really sells it for me with him and Milo is Matt Smith. That's really interesting because... I thought that Leto kind of felt the most normal he's ever felt in a film, like that he was just kind of playing a, a very and and a, just because he's usually so out there and so method with his acting, like this mm-hmm. just felt as normal as it gets. Like trying to portray a, an actual guy just driven by the desire to to try and you know get himself uh healed uh as well as others that have the same disease like Milo um and i thought his performance is actually really good in this film um mm-hmm. and was one of the highlights for me um i think what it came down to was just the fact that in all reality, the movie doesn't really do anything with it, though. To to it doesn't it doesn't really give him a place to expand, or and it doesn't really make anything of what he's doing because the story itself, the logic behind the story, isn't really doing it. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing where it, it was. I I liked him in the movie. Um. I think he was a real benefit to the movie. The movie just wasn't a benefit to him. So I definitely get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you mentioned, you know, Matt Smith, and I, I think uh, you know, obviously Doctor Who, uh, he was fantastic as the doctor. He has um the ability to play uh both sides of the coin of good and evil. And mm-hmm. I think He's a great choice here. And in all honesty, I think, you know, he just makes the most of hamming it up as the villain and really sinking his teeth, pun intended, into that. Um, So, I mean, he's a fantastic choice. But again, like Leto, the character here is really thin. The characterization is really thin. And again, that's not his fault. It's just the script is is that thin. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't get a lot of time to do something with it. Um, but I definitely think for anyone that's seen him in The Crown or as the Doctor, that this is mm-hmm. a complete 180. And he's so terrifying as a villain. I mean, the man can become a scary guy. <laughs> um But he does do a good job, I think, of selling the care that Milo has for Michael um, and how cheated he feels that he sees his friend has taken this super serum that he's suddenly now completely fine and won't give it to him. And he just feels like if you really cared about me, you would give it to me too. I don't care what you say about the risks. It's better than me dying slowly from this disease. Um, So yeah, he really sold it for me. I think that he was the best part of the whole movie, honestly. Um, And maybe I'm slightly biased because I love his other work anyway, but um, I do think that he became this character and was really chilling, especially in the scene where he kills the police officers. 
I mean, it's like he's having fun murdering people and has no apologies about it and thinks that Michael should just become who he was meant to be. Right. No, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, I think that's uh, something he does a great job uh, in portraying all that. And and again, it is just kind of sad that it, it's one of those things where we just don't really spend enough time with him and give him enough character development to really make you care about him mm-hmm. in the first place. You know, like, I mean, I think this, again, is a huge problem because, you know, I don't really care if... We could find a cure for him specifically because I don't know him enough as a character. And, and uh, well, and more yeah. importantly, you don't care when he, his best friend kills him. Yeah, that's yes, that's a great point. So, um, yeah, no, I 100% agree. Adria and Jora, I think that's how you say her name, uh, praise Martine. And I mean, it's not her. It's just super bland because the character yeah. is very um I mean it's thin. There's just nothing there. Well, and I mean to be fair too, also like you said it's not her. I think that the storytelling between her and Michael could have been more romantically involved in some sense. I mean, before he injects himself and in everything it seems like everything is just very cold and like they're just co-workers mm. i mean she's mad at him about what he's doing yeah. <laughs> but i mean you feel like it's just a, a work relationship and it never really gives itself away that there's anything more until you're suddenly supposed to care that she's losing the man she loves to this uh, murderous new instinct and you're like oh they were in love okay yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up, Christy. Uh, I really think you nailed it on the head right there. Um, you know, the fact that what they're they're in a relationship. What? Like, I mean, I guess they're in a relationship because that's what we do in these type of movies. But there's no, there's no setup for them in that chemistry that you would want. Right. Um. There's and and then they they I, I guess they imply you know they kiss in the top of the rooftop and then I guess maybe they might you know sleep together are they trying to imply that I don't know but it's like it just I mean you get the feeling that she cares about him right and that's why she's helping him and that it might be more possibly than that um, but there's just not enough done in the script to give you any puzzle pieces that really make you feel like these characters belong together in any way or and it's just it's right. it's definitely frustrating um and it just it, she just feels kind of like the token person that's here because you know we kind of need a vague love interest and you know um that's what we do in comic book movies and you know and i i feel like the you know jared harris who's fantastic you know he's a great great actor you know i, I know him most from his work in uh, mad men where he was phenomenal i mean again he has l- almost nothing to do in this film um and mm-hmm. is just kind of there as this weird father figure to michael and milo and but there's there's just i i i i hate to keep saying it but it is just paper thin yeah oh no i mean you're right there needed to be more in the script and more planning more to to flesh out of these characters than there was to then make you invested in the emotion of the scenes that were supposed to be emotional so when he then even dies in michael's arms you're still feeling a little empty like yeah, but I don't really know the guy. I just know, like, he seemed like a nice person who de- dedicated his life to helping sick people. So I guess I feel bad for him because he's a good person. Mm-hmm. But you don't really know anything about why he got into that profession. Why, like you said, he chose to particularly look after Milo specifically for the rest of Milo's and his life. And then why Milo feels like Michael is the favorite. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. I mean, other than the fact that Michael's actually smart and we get the feeling like that <laughs> Milo would basically be a gangster if he could be one, so... Um, yeah, they do allude to him being like a criminal a lot, but they don't say why. Yeah, and there's nothing in the movie that supports what it is that he's doing or if he's doing anything, and yeah. Well, just that he hit that one kid with his crutch when he was a kid. Oh, well, you know, I mean, defending <laughs> his honor, you know, because somebody stole his letter. Yeah. Thus thus started his life of crime. <laughs> yeah, uh, everybody's life of crime just gets started by being beat up, you know, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it it's frustrating because, too, one of the things that uh, you brought up uh, as we were just kind of talking behind the scenes, um, as we often do after we see something or whatever, and you just mentioned the theme, and, and it's definitely the most important thematic element, um, it's the price for a cure, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, what are you willing to risk? What are you willing to do uh, to... Uh, find advances in medicine for people that have incurable diseases right Mm -hmm. um and i think that's very poignant theme you know obviously we've all just lived through covid and you know christy i mean i know you have personal experience with this with something that is incurable at this point and you know it it's chronic and it you suffer with it every day yeah, I mean, I think that that was the one saving grace of this movie story-wise was that it talks about that um, huge question of um, he does have a point that is true that without some kind of risk-taking that there would be no inva- advancements in medicine, um, but there also has to be some limit because obviously we've seen through real life situations in the past where the first conversations started about cloning, um, you know, about the ethical nature of the risks that they take in medicine, um, about how we do testing before it then gets to human testing (laughs) so that we're not just injecting people with things that could immediately kill them or give them life altering issues. Um, that it's gone through years of different kinds of tests and sometimes needed to be tested on other less intelligent life forms before then moving on to human testing. So there's just a lot of things to unpack there that are really important, big questions that everyone has to decide for themselves how they feel. But you can at least understand that feeling of if someone lives with an incurable disease that they would do almost anything to be cured. Yeah, I mean, it it obviously makes sense that that's the case. And, you know, I think, you know, we can see that in the way that we have just, and, and we continue to respond to the ideas of, you know, um, diseases like cancer and things like that, you know, still mm-hmm. so hard at work and, and people doing everything they can. Um, and... I I do think it is a great question. Um, it's it's interesting because uh, as we're recording this, I'll be recording um, tonight with uh, Chris Jones about Star Trek Picard, and there's a part in that about somebody who is feeling completely desperate um, for a cure for their kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're desperate, what will you do, right? Um, and what I found interesting here in this at least the way the the story portrays this these guys aren't desperate in the sense of like they're not going to die anytime soon at least mm-hmm. the movie never gives me that feeling that either of these two guys is on death's doorstep right mhm um their life is not pleasant it's not enjoyable but to be pushing it in this way, it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously, Dr. Morbius is breaking every ethical code that we know. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the beauty of that is, too, is that, you know, what does he say? Is that I shouldn't have done this and I wish I hadn't, um, you know, and that 
there's a reason those type of codes are there for are are there's a purpose for those type of codes right that we have in in medical research um and you know you you never know what you're going to create and you know you obviously create something that in the wrong people's hands turns into a killing machine uh and and so yeah, I mean, I, I, it's the place where the movie ha- at least has something interesting going for it, but it's also the place in the movie where it doesn't really dive into it enough, and that's disappointing too. You know, I would have loved much more on this, uh, especially like a a more interesting argument between Michael and and Milo. I think that would have been fascinating. Um, you know, just, just mm-hmm. anything to add more on this because yeah, this is, this is really the best part of the movie. Um, but like the rest of what we said, because everything else is just so, you know, thinly laid out, we're, we're never going to dive deep on this. You know, we're always going to stay in the shallow end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just needed a little bit more to then be able to take this and run with it. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the action and the effects in this movie? <sighs> I'm sure you probably felt the same way, but um, I was kind of surprised to see that the director of photography was Oliver Wood, who has done some really great work that I love, like the Bourne movies. Um did this because I think that the big mistake they made here was they focused way too much on the echolocation aspect and constantly referring to, don't you see how his ears are tingling and how the sound is reverberating off all of the buildings in the cars. And I'm like, yeah, we get it. My God, stop beating a dead horse. And then the worst was (laughs) when he and Milo have their first big fight, they sound like a couple, don't they? Um, they um, are falling through the air and both doing these echolocation phase jump and punches kind of thing. But the way that it's portrayed on screen, you can't tell who is where, where they're falling from and to and what's really happening. I mean, it's like shaky cam gone crazy with special effects. Did you feel that way? I mean, I think uh, you've nailed everything that's a problem here. Um, You know, I love that, you know, in the Spider-Man movies, we have the Peter tingle and here we have the ear tingle. So uh, I love it. Um, But you're 100% right uh, that the action is almost never good in this film. uh, And the effects are so muddy and so badly done and so ill-planned that it it never works and like you said especially that final battle where they're just kind of falling through this building and you have no idea what's happening Mm -hmm. and it it you know it reminds me of what my complaints that i had against the force awakens is i didn't really love the end battle there I found it to be very muddy and very hard to follow because there wasn't enough distinction in the colorization. You never had a wide shot really showing you where they were or what's going on or had any frame of reference to the geography of how they're attacking. This is the same thing. There's like no geography to tell you kind of how all you know is you're falling, but you're just it. it's just a muddled mess of, of CGI and it's just absolutely awful. And, you know, because of them doing the echolocation, there's this weird smoke effect that looks so fake and terrible as well that just never works in the movie. So everything about their choices with the action, and that's linked as well to the effects, makes this terrible. I mean, it's, it's just a bad choice. They've made... Mm-hmm. A terrible choice every single time. And it's disappointing because these movies, this movie could have a really interesting look to it and feel to it. Um, 
But I mean, I, 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 I can't say that I'm that surprised when I felt the same way about Venom, really. Mm-hmm. So there was, I, I just was never really that impressed there. But this is, I, I would say, at least 10 times worse. Yeah, it, I, the thing is, too, the the smoke effect could have been cool if you peppered in some pauses where we could actually get a grasp on what character we're looking at. I mean, they had him pause a couple of times when he was caught on camera in his first time becoming Morbius the bat-like man. Um that would have at least been better than just completely like looking at a dark screen of smoke effects. <laughs> yep, 100%. So, yeah, and did you like the way that they made their faces look bat-like when he and Milo were experiencing the change, I'll call mm-hmm. it. I mean, I guess that was okay. Uh, it, it it made some sense, I guess, but it was weird that their face would just kind of go back to normal when they wanted. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that was... I, it didn't, I didn't love that. I didn't love it, and I didn't hate it. It was just like, okay, Okay, I guess that maybe that makes sense. The more I think about it, not necessarily. So, they can change it at will. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically. So I, I yeah, no. Um, okay, so the movie has two stingers, and both of them have to do with Adrian Toomes being brought into this universe, who, if you don't remember, was Michael Keaton's vulture and Spider-Man Homecoming. And so the you've got the first credit sequence which brings him into this universe because of apparently what happened in No Way Home. Some reason this brings him into the Venom universe. And he's let go because I mean he hasn't done anything wrong in this universe, so why why would we keep him in prison? Uh, and then the second one is that he meets up with Michael Morbius and tells him that they should team up because this has something to do with Spider-Man. Of course, Michael Morbius has never heard of and should care nothing about. So, how did you feel about the stingers? <laughs> Much like your tone of voice, kind of confused. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, you would have to have recently seen Spider-Man to remember, I think, who Michael Keaton was supposed to be. You know, it's Michael Keaton, but at first you're like, oh, yeah, he's what's-his-face. And you have to look it up. So that was one thing I had kind of against it. It's been so long since Homecoming, I kind of forgot what character it was. And then, yeah, same thing of why would he go to Morbius why would he know who Morbius is where to find him want to team up with him and then same thing why would Morbius care about Spider-Man and want to team up with Tombs yeah because I mean he says the name it has something to do with Spider-Man and I'm like Morbius has no flipping idea who Spider-Man is and would absolutely care nothing about your proposal to join up as a team Obviously, you know, they're trying to create the Sinister Sticks, but this is not the way to do it because it doesn't thing, make any sense. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that somebody was like, well, he's a vulture and Morbius is a bat. And so the uh, they both fly. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, who who knows? Um, none of it works. It's And it doesn't work because it doesn't make sense story-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw that people were being brought into the universe of No Way Home, you know, because we saw the stinger there where Venom had been brought into that universe, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But they were getting brought out of other universes into the MCU universe, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Not the other way around, so I don't right. really understand how this works story-wise. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, obviously, they are absolutely trying to create, you know, 
their own universe here with uh, a Sinister Six that, you know, we would have them ultimately, I guess, face down with Spider-Man at some point. But uh, it's 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 too haphazardly done to, to make sense. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And so, I I mean, I guess, you know, um, no reason to beat a dead bat. What are you <laughs> going to rate? Morbius. So I did come down to two things that gave it some points back for me, which was obviously Matt Smith and um, the question about the incurable diseases and sort of Frankenstein's monster situation. Um, But ultimately, all of the other things really leave you wanting more. So I really end up giving it a two out of five echolocation ears because I I needed more character development. I think mm-hmm. that you didn't really need the love interest. I think it would have been a great movie if they focused more on the relationship just between Michael and Milo and had it be a story about two guys that are mm-hmm. brothers from another mother um, would have been awesome. But yeah, it, I, I just want the, the action to be better, there to be more character-driven nature to it, and um, less bad smoke effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's a completely fair. Uh, and, and for me, this is, you know, one and a half bat hearts. Uh, it's... Um, <laughs> It's a bad movie. I mean, I just, I hate to say it, but it's it's not a good movie. Um, there's really nothing very enjoyable about it for the most part because it doesn't really hold together very well narratively as the story. And I think that's the thing, that, you know, you can't have a great movie if, if you don't really care about the characters or the story very much. And there's no reason for anyone to care about this. And, I, and in all honesty, I've seen some people saying it's good or whatever on, on you know social media or whatnot, but I feel like somebody's saying that they're lying to you because this is not good. Um, you know, this is the type of thing that I feel like that you should stay way away from in the theater um, and you should watch only when it's on cable late at night on a Saturday. And, you know, maybe you've already had too many beers. I don't know. Like, that's the only reason to watch this movie. And then, you know, you do it uh, with your buddies as a Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. Because um, that's yeah, the only way go. this movie would be fun. Um, so, but uh, Christy. Um, I'm really interested because I feel like maybe we can recommend some good things for people this week. Well, uh, I thought maybe I should recommend something good vampire related. Um, so I'm going to recommend it. It's kind of on the nose, but it is my favorite vampire thing ever. People need to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you've never seen it, it is all every single episode on Hulu right now. So all you need is a Hulu membership and you can watch it all. Um, They even have a musical episode. Um, James Marsters is incredible as Spike um, and has one of my favorite quotes. (laughs) Give me five words to explain why you're out right now. Out for a walk. Woman, which I'm replacing with a bad word. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I highly recommend checking out Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series on Hulu um, or the Lost Boys if you're looking for a film vampire movie. Nice. Nice. Um, well, I am going to recommend to everybody something that's really fun, um, really wholesome. You're going to have a great time with it. Uh, but it is a podcast by my wife and I's favorite comedian right now called the Nate Land Podcast. Uh, and it stars none other than... Nate Bergetzi, um, and he is hilarious. Um, he has some specials on Netflix that you should check out as well. But his podcast, uh, my wife found it because we're a big fan of him, and she was looking for something interesting to listen to, and started it uh, during COVID because, you know, they couldn't do shows, and there was nothing else for them to do. So him and some of his buddies got together, and they just talk about stuff. I mean, and it's just comedians talking about things in life, you know, um, so 
episodes can be anything like maybe we'll talk about sports this week. Maybe we'll talk about doppelgangers. Maybe we'll, you know, talk about dinosaurs or marriage. And it's just, it's a hilarious podcast. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can all use a little bit more hilarity in our lives. So I'm recommending the Nate Land podcast. But Christy, if anybody wants to catch up with you, uh, see what else you've got going on these days, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, of course, at Bespin Bell. And when I'm not here, I also am uh, sometimes in the Babel Conference. And you can find me on my own show called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, Skynet, where my friends Amanda, Teresa, and I cover things that we don't usually get to cover geeky-wise. So stay tuned for that as well on Sabres and Spells on all your social media platforms. And you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. So uh, you can do that on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, any of those type of places, um, pretty much any social media that's out there. Just search for Matt Rushing 2 If I'm there, you'll find me. Uh, you can also, of course, find me here on the network in the 602 Club feed with Snyder Cuts as well as Assembling Avengers with John Mills as we do some uh, focused bonus shows, which is really fun. Uh, you can also find me doing other shows on the network that are Star Trek related. Uh, Warp 5, The Orb, Literary Treks, and The Artificial Tango. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and the artificial tango is Chris Jones and I talking about Star Trek Picard Season 2 right now, which is a lot of fun. And then you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, two shows. One is called Owl Post. That is a completed show about Harry Potter. We talk about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then over on Aggressive Negotiations, John Mills and I talk about Star Wars. So I hope you'll check all of that out. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear. here.